0: to Urban Next Exchanges, a podcast by UrbanNext.net, the digital platform that aims to expand architecture to rethink cities. You are listening to an episode from Nature of Enclosure, a series hosted by Jeffrey S. Nesbitt, exploring the status of enclosure in the design fields and its impact on contemporary forms of capital, culture and politics.
1: Welcome back to the sixth session of our miniseries entitled The Nature of Enclosure, where we have been exploring critical questions of enclosed territories of power and the physical demarcations for an increase of capital accumulation in the synthetic environment. Overlapped by cultural consumption and politics, planetary imagination stimulates a useful framework for interrogating the human impact on environmental limitations over a technological foreground. The blurry lines between the engineered logic and cultural imagination are continually embedded and influenced by intuition in the cultural practices of capital enclosure. Urbanist and political geographer Edward Soja identifies three primary drivers for what he calls regional urbanization in the postmodern metropolis. First, the globalization of capital, second, creation of a new economy, and third, the effects from the revolution in technologies. And yet the scales of the infrastructural, regional, and planetary lenses have only made it more difficult to precisely translate in our design fields. Konstantinos Daxiatis, the eccentric architect and urban planner, defined the birth of human settlement explosion initiated by a passenger rail in northern England precisely in 1825, when the quote, the present multi-speed city was born. This implies modes of contemporary urbanization were exponentially linked and fueled by commercial forms of energy, for which Doxiatis reminds us and claims controlled the entire city. In other words, technology and the paradox of solving problems became induced by the problem itself. And therefore, Doxiatis suggests that all networks should go underground and demands that the ground itself should be left for pedestrians. For our interest here, the architecture as object or infrastructure as utility themselves are not of particular concern. We can consider the relationship between economics and forms of power to include cultural imagination and the role of architecture in creating closed forms of capital. So can architecture learn from such places driven by expanded territory and power to be more equipped with engaging the ever expanding planetary urbanization process. This session brings together design researchers and scholars whose work examines the role of architecture, technology, data, and politics that give rise to accelerated capital and planetary conditions within the nature of enclosure. We are joined today by Mariano Gomez-Luque, Marcella del Signore, and Sean Rickenbacker. Mariano Gomez Luque is an architect, a postdoctoral fellow at the Harvard University Graduate School, of designs Urban Theory Lab and Office for Urbanization and also the co-editor of the new journal of the Journal New Geographies. Mariano's research studies the intersections between architecture and planetary urbanization through the lens of science fiction and critical theory with particular emphasis on the role of architecture within the cultural imaginaries of our contemporary urban world. He holds a doctor of design and a master's in architecture from the Harvard GSD. Marcella Del Signore is an architect, associate professor at the New York Institute of Technology and the principal of Extopia, a design research practice that explores the intersection of architecture and urbanism. Del Signore is the author of Urban Machines: Public Space in a Digital Culture from 2018 which explores how emerging technologies have radically changed the way we inhabit and live in urban space. She holds a master's in architecture from La Spienza University in Rome and a master's of science in advanced architectural design from Columbia University. And thirdly, Sean Rickenbacker is an associate professor at the City College of New York and director of the J. Max Bond Center for Urban Futures. Sean is also a co-founder of the of the Technology, Data and Design Consultancy, Urban Data and Design, currently working on the design and implementation of ambient and embedded technologies in the physical environment intended to enhance spatial awareness and cognition. Born and raised in New York City, Sean Rickenbacker holds a a bachelor's of architecture from Syracuse University, a master's of architecture from the University of Virginia, and a certificate in interaction design from NYU. Mariano, Marcella, and Sean, thank you all for being here. The format for the session is organized as usual in three parts. Uh, We'll begin with two provocations, a response, and uh, and a discussion. I'll first invite Mariano to initiate today's session by offering his work on the late capitalist very tall building and the planetary interior, followed by Marcella's thoughts on the anthropogenic territories and planetary scale of techno geographies. Afterwards, we will hear a formal response from Sean and then open it up for discussion. Mariano, whenever you're ready, the virtual floor is yours.
2: Uh, mine is a rather a hypothesis more than a provocation, I would say, uh, one trying to establish some links between the question of enclosure and architecture. At a general level, such hypothesis posits that architectural form is an instrument for an distinct morphology and a scale of but I will describe in what follows as capitalist enclosure. At a more specific level, I suggest that the skyscraper form, especially in its post 1970s phase of development, constitutes a historically specific morphology of enclosure, specific that is to our own age of ubiquitous financialization, planetary urbanization, and ecological and environmental crisis. But before I pursue this further, uh, a few clarifications a talk of capitalist enclosure because although enclosure as such predates capitalism, it comes to achieve its basic and most robust counters and characteristics within and through the logic of capital accumulation as such. As an abstract mechanism for the appropriation of nature and the subsumption of the space, as well as for the seizure of the commons, enclosure is indeed a precondition for the global unfolding of both the property and the commodity form as the vast literature on this topic has revealed and illuminated. So three different features I highlight here, therefore. A, abstraction, B, the appropriation and subsumption of nature and space, and C, the seizure of the commons. I will return to this in due time. Yet, as a scholar Alvaro Sevilla-Ritrago remarks in his work on the topic, most scholarly accounts tend to describe the capitalist nature of enclosure almost exclusively in terms of dynamics related to or springing from processes of commodification, separation, exclusion, privatization, marketization, and the like, ignoring its key spatial dimension. In other words, these literatures tend to bypass, he says, the fact that enclosure is fundamentally a spatial process one that not only operates through the abstract workings of capital accumulation, but also via the instrumentalization and mobilization of a specific and concrete spatial forms or morphologies. These morphologies, in turn, operate at various scales, he argues, from that of the body itself to that of the building, to that of urban form, to that of the city as such, all the way up to larger spatial domains, landscapes, and territories. Architecture can then be defined from this perspective and following this mode of analysis, of course, as a specific scale and morphology of enclosure. I take what I describe as the late capitalist skyscraper in this particular presentation, and more on this in a moment, to be a singularly poignant or distinct architectural logic through which the rationality of enclosure, to continue to deploy Sevilla Vitrago's terminology, unfolds. To be sure, the skyscraper as such, as an architectural mechanism for the generation of surplus value, and here we must not forget its telling and classic definition in the words of architect in the early 20th century as, quote unquote, a machine that makes the land pay. So the skyscraper as such has, from its very inception in the late 19th century, operated as a logic of capitalist enclosure, insofar as it turns and crystallizes the two-dimensional spatial procedures of land partition and commodification into a three-dimensional, radically verticalized architectural form. My point here, however, is a slightly different one. I want to draw a parallelism between, on the one hand, the planetary scale unfolding of capitalist enclosure as it is manifest in our contemporary world, a world pertinently described by architectural historian Daniel Barber as a planetary interior, That is to say, as a totalizing technological environment that casts shadows over our capacity to represent the very idea of or to experience the very dimension of an outside. And on the other hand, the unprecedented and also planetary scale proliferation of skyscrapers from the 20th century onwards. That is to say, during the historical stage of capitalist development known as late capitalism. Hence the rationale for my denomination of this kind of skyscraper as late capitalist. In what remains of my time, I want to return to the three features of capitalist enclosure I mentioned at the beginning. A, abstraction. B, appropriation and subsumption of nature and space. And C, seizure of the commons. And describe, however, briefly or schematically, and I really apologize for my schematism here, how they are embodied or enacted by the late capitalist skyscraper, so as to be able to at least give partial closure to an argument that without a doubt would have to be substantiated at a greater length. So first, abstraction. The late capitalist skyscraper exacerbates the abstraction, and abstraction here is understood in the sense of separation from, the abstraction of play in capitalism closure. As a generic form or spatial mechanism device, to, quote, unquote, make the land pay, it has effectively pushed the principle of vertical replication of land value to new heights, quite literally, in fact, a logic we may call of urban verticality for accumulation's sake. Over the past four decades, we have seen a tremendous increase in the scale of this individual building, which Frederick Jameson calls some kind of a microcosm a building that now is at the point of surpassing the threshold of the 1,000 meters of height. The radical detachment of these species of building from its public grounds is in turn creating new degrees of spatial alienation and urban gentrification, while also de facto working as a mechanism of enclosure, or as a luxurious capsule, as the late Paul Virilio argued, designed for the insulation of a tiny planetary elite of billionaires who are now confined into what the young Marx called writing in 1844 about the spatial effects of alienation, quote unquote, a heaven of wealth. Second, the appropriation and subsumption of nature and space. The planetary scale proliferation of late capitalist skyscrapers throughout virtually all major cities and urban epicenters of the world depends on a logic of exploitation of nature, not to mention it's the key and unsustainable engine of a large carbon-based building industry, is ecologically unviable and environmentally harmful. Indeed, the large-scale construction of the skyscrapers is premised on an ongoing and vast process of mining and resource extraction from remote, putative non-urban domains. And this is why, without a doubt, historian Gray Rashin called skyscrapers quite appropriately in my mind, quote, unquote, inverted minds. The very existence of this planetary mind, to use Martín Arboleda's powerful metaphor, of this sublime landscape of extraction, in turn, is not only contingent on appropriating whatever remains of nature in order for it to be exploited and subsumed, to be commodified, that is, but also, but it's also, we now know, utterly untenable in light of the catastrophic effect it has on the Earth's atmosphere and biosphere, as our current and urgent climate crisis painfully demonstrates. And third, the seizure of the commons, the relentless extrusion of larger and larger parcels of urban land into robust three-dimensional environments punctuated by massive quantities of the skyscrapers, and you know this is what some scholars describe as the rise of a volumetric kind of urbanism. And as an example of this, I want to simply cite the, the case of the so-called ghost cities of China, a particularly brutal example, I would argue. So this, the rise of this vertical volumetric kind of urbanism is not only displacing larger and larger portions of people across cities from all over the world, mostly people of color, sexual minorities, the urban poor, homogenizing and gentrifying vast segments of city life and turning them into segregating vertical worlds of real estate. But in equally tragic measure, I would argue, it is also foreclosing our collective capacity to imagine new urban post-capitalist worlds in common. Finally, to recapitulate and open up a few questions for debate and discussion, capitalist enclosure is, as just argued, an abstract and spatial logic through which nature and space are subsumed and the commons are appropriated, a logic that is Instrumental to the myth of endless capital accumulation, a myth that the late capitalist skyscraper, as a historically specific morphology or formation of enclosure, translates into the pursuit of an urban verticality for accumulation's sake. But, as Judith Butler powerfully argues in her most recent book, The Force of Nonviolence, social life is actually characterized by the exact opposite of this pervasive capitalist rationality. In other words, social life is defined not by separation or by the illusion of autonomy, as the logic of the commodity form would make us believe, but instead by by, or common interdependency, the interdependency and interrelationality of human and non-human lives, of environments, of infrastructures, and buildings. If this is so, and I believe this is so, then we can ask, and with these questions I end. What would be the implications of this radical claim about the entanglements of beings, landscapes, and material infrastructures for architecture and design in general? And more specifically, to our own purposes here, what would be the vertical architecture of a post-capitalist, post-skyscraper social world be like? What kinds of common vertical worlds could be collectively designed and organized around a post-carbon post-enclosure form of urban life, one that recognizes, as Butler puts it, quote, that we are not in the global environment as self-subsisting beings, but subsist only as long as the planet does. End of quote, and end of presentation. Thanks very much.
1: Thanks, Mariano. Um, always, uh, you know, you, you say it's a, hypoth- you know, a hypothesis, but I still think it's uh, both inspiring and, and certainly provocational. I, um, there's a couple things, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get to Marcello in a second. I, I just wanted to mention one, one quick thing that I thought was powerful, which is this false, this, this kind of, as you describe it, in the social construction, there's this false autonomy, And uh, and and I I think that's one of the one of the things we can we can discuss as it it reminds me also um, of James Scott's uh, state simplification that both, you know, a social construction of autonomy or the commons, but also the simplification of land, and so in, in, in one in one case we see it as a as an agricultural or harvesting of of property, and then in your case um, of uh, of kind of public commons, which is actually a, a, I think a healthy segue into uh, Marcella. So Marcella, whenever whenever you're ready, uh, please proceed. Uh,
3: so I would like to start from the planetary scale as a framework to introduce forms of enclosure. The planetary is understood as relating to or belonging to a planet or planets, and relating to Earth especially as a planet. In the planetary, many parameters are at stake that reveal not only the singularity of their actions or influences, but on the contrary, the complete codependence and entanglements of bodies. In Facing the Planetary, William Connolly expands on the politics of pluralization, capitalism, fragility, and secularism to address the complexity of the Anthropocene. Codependency coupling cause effect determine the deployment of such system and their mutual influences. Within this framework, earth system science is a relatively new field of scientific research, aiming at understanding the structure and functioning of the earth as a complex adaptive system. Within Earth system science, the term anthropogenic reference the influence of human beings on nature and designates an effect resulting from human activity. Anthropogenic territories are in states of flux, expressing processes, objects, or material derived from inhabitation, use, formations, mutation, as opposed to those following nature without human influences. Within this framework, again, enclosure or enclosures as states of creating a larger visible or invisible, discontinuous or entangled system of subdivided geometry become a parameter to measure the level of anthropogenic states on the territory. As planetary scale reproduction occurs, increased levels of anthropogenic mutation exponentially count the homogenization of urban form and the public realm. This condition makes us to reflect on the interdependency of such as systems that voluntarily or not are terraforming the planet. The formation of Earth is a process that has taken place over millennia. And as a production and reproduction of urbanization continues, this process has to be seen holistically as a process that continues of continuous transformation of Earth system. And this process is inherently and deeply connected with the anthropogenic resulting from it. Controlled environments that might emerge from the action of enclosing, separating, excluding, extracting from nature are intertwined at the urban and large territorial system. The division into pockets, subdivision, enclosed agglomerations, secluded parcels, enclose not only space, but also life. Here I want to read a paragraph from Benjamin Bratton, extracted from the essay, Some Traces Effects of the Post-Anthropocene, on accelerationist geopolitical aesthetics to expand on four points, the Anthropocene, geopolitics, capitalism, and the nature of enclosure. Bratton argues we are brought into this anthropo- anthropocenic precipice not just by a cosmic predicament, predicament, but by the ambivalent violence of capitalism, particularly our algorithmic capitalism. But do we contain it, or it contains us? This economic is, on the one hand, the mega machine of incredible anthropocentric composition and consumption. And on the other, the appropriation of planetary matter, including human flesh, without concerns of politics or limits. Capitalism is seen at one and the same time as a compulsive eco-economics linked to our dominance and or an alien entropy machine for the processing of territorial material, value, and information. But this reversibility of inside and outside, and I want to stress here inside and outsides, here is where we can see the mechanism of enclosure within this duality of inclusion-exclusion, privatization versus commons, appropriation of nature versus continuity. Branton here continues to argue, instead of post-capitalism, I prefer the more encompassing post-anthropocene. The latter names not only defines another eco, economic order, but articulates in advance the displacement of human agent from the subjective center of its operation. Again, here I want to reflect on the reversibility of inside and outside as an operational category to understand the nature of enclosure as act of division from when it's outside or excluded versus the inside. All of this, again, makes us to reflect on the comparative planetology. These terms come from Kim Stanley Robinson, from which the Earth, or perhaps as a mediating polis, can only be taught through aesthetics or forms, derived from and not imposed upon, where subdivisions, inversions, localization, and adoptions increase the divide from, again, inside and outside. This also makes us to reflect on the nature of the public domain, therefore, the commons. In this context, I see the public domain as a stage for these issues at stake to manifest. Especially now, I think more than ever, the reflection on the public domain is an important parameter to define how we live as collective and what are the forces at play. I think we are challenged to redefine our norms in the public realm. And this is also an opportunity for us to rethink and redefine the fundamentals of living. The public domain brings me to expand on the notion of socio-technical systems. The public realm, I believe, is one of the expanded field where the deployment of socio-technical systems are inherently embedded. A socio-technical system understands social structure to develop the design of systems, the design, again, of systems that involve people, technology, and their environment. It recognized the inner relationship between society's complex infrastructures and human behaviors. Sociotechnical theory acknowledged the fact that we need to design, and I want to stress again the word design here, both aspects together through a moralistic view. The relationship between society and technology has existed since the beginning of humankind, but the difference between the past and the present technology is the extent of social binding. The more social forces it binds together, the more powerful technology is. In this framework, again, I see enclosure as a socio spatial and perhaps technological formation, giving the potentiality to extend this provocation into the relationship between techno geographies of enclosure and late capitalism discourse, where enclosure emerged as a space of control privatization, commodification, and homogenization, excluding the commons. These relations are also contingent on the cultural, social, and political conditions, reconfiguring reconfiguring continuously the connection between inhabitation and the public sphere. With this, I want to introduce quickly a part of the text by Kelly Hesterling of what she calls medium design. The largest socio-technical organization of space, the repeatable formulas and therefore forms of planetary organization for formatting space all around the world might prompt innovative thoughts because they are everywhere and nowhere. From the macro to the macro scale, from institution to cities, they are too large and too widely distributed to be assessed as a discrete object with a name, a shape or an outline. They don't respond to singular solution or determination, and they can really only be assessed by the activity or disposition immanent in their organization as it unfolds over time and territory. still quarry but in any context, large or small, designing the medium is managing the potentials and relationship between objects, the activity or disposition immanent in their organization. This quote makes us to reflect again on the nature of, en- nature of enclosure, not as a single, independent, discrete object, but rather as a disposition imminent in their organization, and it unfolds over time and territory. Again, like an operating system, it sets the rules of the game that links and activate the components of an organization. What are future models of enclosure? We have the responsibility to open up new paths that rely again and being aware of this notion of codependency of system that makes us to reflect on the simultaneity of scales and possible holistic vision of how we inhabit spaces, cities and the whole planet. A reflection on the architecture of the planetary scale should affect how we design, think and operate in this sense and what is the nature of enclosure. How each of these codependent parameters, so the terraforming, the geopolitical formation, the reproduction in the age of planetary urbanization, and the effects of the anthropogenic might affect the way in which we design the commons, the public realm, cities, the territory, and the whole planet, through a holistic vision of interference coupling a codependency, rather than exclusion and separation.
1: I think both um surprisingly really well aligned um i think there's a, a few things we can pull on there's there's a, some terms that were used in both uh provocations um but also things that uh, conceptually cross over uh especially when we when we think of um as you referred to the mega machine or you know in in mariano 's case uh the the very tall building or the skyscraper and perhaps in fact, uh, your, your position about the technogeographies, uh, Marcella, could very much be uh, one, uh, one form of those technogeographies geographies is not necessarily the horizontal spread of urbanization, but in, in Mariano's case, the vertical. And so it's, it's something we can, we can discuss. But uh, thank you very much. It was a wonderful, wonderful uh, presentation. Um, I'd I now like to uh, hand it over to and invite Sean to offer his uh, reflections and response.
4: I find the, both presentations to offer, uh, as Jeff, you've already sort of suggested, uh, there's a com- commonality between what I would imagine to be an observation about uh, capitalist tendencies and its relationship to the built environment, and in particular uh, towers, uh, skyscrapers, uh, in Mariano's case, the late capitalist uh, skyscraper, and this issue of enclosure um planetary urbanism um, both presentations reveal a kind of multiplicity and, and, and interdependency of those things related to politics economics capitalist speculation uh, which can be a stand-in i imagine for what uh, marcello refers to as the mega machine uh, the geopolitics and and the anthropocene predicament that we um, can probably all agree uh, find ourselves in. What's interesting um, in kind of contemplating what has been presented um, is, is a number of questions that, that I have that might offer a kind of longer discussion, but in some respects, the, um, this rationale of the enclosure um, that Mariano rep- uh, presents, abstraction, the appropriation of nature and seizure of the commons, Um, or this dismantling of the communal logic, right? Something in opposition to um, the the commons again, where I can connect communal logic and commons together. So both uh, Mariano and Marcella present this idea that the commons may be at risk in relationship to the organization or the kind of tendencies of planetary urbanism and its corresponding relationship or representation of enclosure. So, um, you know, the the economic order, I guess, which is uh, of interest to me, uh, in how the kind of geopolitics play out and this ever changing disposition of planetary urbanism, the kind of accelerated transition from one mode to the next as it expands across these territories, um, the, the terraforming that is described. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious to know if, in fact, the partitioning and commodification of territories um, provides us any opportunity to kind of um, examine how those territories uh, uh, and the commodification is abstracted into these uh, forms, these. Um, morphologies of, and again, that, to use Mariano's description, the abstraction uh, of what might be even financial pro forma uh, in relationship to, to exploiting the kind of uh, limited resources of land that in, in many cases presents um, the, the need for capitalist accumulation and, spe- and further speculation. Right? Uh, it, the, the exaggeration, where the appropriation of nature with that space uh, is extracted and extruded. So both the resources and the formal manipulation of the morphology of the tower, the skyscraper, um, those things seem to be at odds with uh, what would be the alternatives that we seek um, when we kind of examine these tendencies of of, uh, capitalist accumulation versus a kind of public and/ or communal logic by which some other derivative is is, is uh, perhaps desirable the the question about total uh, I thought it was very interesting totalizing the interior uh, by which the extraction of those those parcels those those lands and that factoring, if you will into the financial model that becomes the kind of creative residue of the tower i 'm not quite sure if if It's been touched upon just yet, but I think that there's a there's an emerging logic that uh, might have even been uh, in discussion in the early 90s when uh, the first meeting of the committee of the uh, committee on the environment uh, convening on sustainability, uh, where those questions of how, in fact, uh, the environment uh, should actually play a role in the nature of enclosure and also pre- perhaps present itself as a kind of public disposition or a kind of universal disposition of our relationship to our built, uh, to our natural environments communicated in built form. And I think in some regards, the, the formalization of, of these kinds of ideas, you know, in this process of, let's call it a social movement, right? Where I think there's four or five stages in in regards to the uh, ideation of of an idea that becomes a movement that formal uh, that last stage the formalization uh, the point in which ideas become organized to grow dramatically in scale those ideas seem to have become the kind of capitalist uh, model for communicating the intention of land acquisition speculation Um, into that uh, medium of the enclosure, right? And we don't have, at this particular point, I don't believe, a series of models. uh, Although, again, I refer to the 1990 Committee on the Environment meeting, because I think it was at that particular juncture where at a very um, critical time in our trajectory as we're hurtling further and further into our climate crisis, there was recognition that there should be and could be a moment, and I think Marcella brings this uh, to the uh, forefront, uh, by which we reconsider, more importantly, not the the kind of planimetric uh, ideals and goals of density, which may resort into uh, skyscrapers and towers of that nature. But it was really the, the enclosure that was under question and examination as having a kind of increased potential to deal with not only the social and cultural, but the, the environmental, the planetary impact that we as a profession are responsible for.
1: Thank you, Sean. Um, one of the, one of the, as you were, as you were um, reflecting, a couple of things come to mind. Um, and I'm just going to throw these out there as well, and then we'll we'll open it up for um, Mariano and Marcello to respond. Um, one is obviously when when you highlighted Sean the totalizing uh, totalizing of the interior, you know the first person and uh, forms of either architectural forms or aesthetics that I that I think of are John Portman and John Portman's um, interest in creating so-called this commons. On the interiors of his hotels and, and development massive development projects, yet lead to what I think in um, both presentations were are kind of describing as the false understanding of collective and commons um, as a as a kind of a, anto- a, autonomous um, thing. But at the same time, and for example, in Marcella's presentation, it certainly leads to uh, inclusion and in issues of exclusion. Uh, that that by by treating the uh, urban realm as dense and therefore somehow interiorized, if we could say, then that somehow has. I think what Sean, you're you're bringing up something interesting, which to me says there's perhaps um, some tension or friction, or 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 perhaps we have to unpack what we mean by dense and what we mean by interior and how those two perhaps relate. But I but I now just want to. Um, either Marcello or Mariano, feel free to to chime in.
3: Um, so I think one thing that uh, starts to, you know, come out, again, in relation to uh, to the object, I think is this notion that also Mariano referred to, is this notion of abstraction. And in, uh, uh, in the object, again, seen as an object that, again, um, that this false autonomy—that is not a singular object—but in the end, the object starts to actually talk about the large operating system. So, when I, one thing that I refer in the presentation is this logic of disposition, especially when you know Keller esterling talks about medium design. That to me, this is particularly important in understanding the relationship between the object and the system, and how the object, that even though it, again, uh, could in a way, operate as autonomous in a false autonomy. Uh, But at the same time, uh, what I'm interested here is to maybe expand a little bit more is is this notion of how um, really start to, in in the production and reproduction, looking at the planetary urbanization as a framework, really, really works as an operating system. Operating system of reproduction, operating system of understanding, again, not only the object and its location, but really understanding larger systems and how they are produced, especially. And so I think this notion of formatting space in the relation to to the planetary, I think is pretty important. So this idea of format, this idea of template that if you look at skyscrapers right and tall buildings so Jeffrey you were referring to Portman I think all of this again uh, relates to the to this notion of abstraction in relation to the, the format and the templates and so I think on the one hand there is the um, the kind of uh, false um, res- false uh, how can I say response to the the you know the object right that is designed that it's designed for that particular Let's say uh, location, but at the same time, I think we have to begin to understand how this uh, is a disposition for a large operating system that is not that is invisible, but at the same time, start to understand how planetary urbanization begins to be developed into production and reproduction of ways of formatting space. And so, this I think brings into question oh, you know, the, the, the notion of autonomy and at the same time the commons. And so I think I'm interested here maybe to expand a little bit more what happens on this on this replication of the format, the replication of the template, if we look at just skyscraper as a type.
2: I think that, um, I was thinking about this question of abstraction that sort of emerged now in the discussion, which I think is central um, to understanding enclosure and to understand the relationship between um, as Sean put it, the capitalist tendencies and the built capitalist tendencies and the built environment as such. I think, you know, uh, with regard to the skyscraper as such, I think what is, what is typically overlooked is that the skyscraper is not only uh, a form, let's say, an architectural form that architects, you know, like uh, because it looks like a, as, a, as an object that they can control or design or aestheticize, but it's also an abstract template, to use your your word, uh, Marcela. I think it's a template or a principle, an abstract principle of surplus value generation. I think this is, this is something that is uh, typically uh, overlooked in any accounts of, you know, architectural accounts of the evolution of the skyscraper, any histories of the skyscraper. They, they tend to kind of dwell... Uh, in my opinion, too much on the question of form and the specificity of the object and and so on and so forth. So abstraction here is, I think, embedded in the rationality of capital and uh, it's a a logic of enclosure. I think what is a stake in the enclosure process is the abstraction of the built environment. So in other words, like, like the internalization of nature, if you like, and the transformation of nature uh, hinges upon into its own transmutation into an abstract substance, into an abstract built environment. And I think the, the the skyscraper, for that matter, if you understand it from that perspective, as a template or as a logic, as a spatial logic, as a mechanism, um, I think it it offers a clue to understand how our, you know contemporary cities, through urbanization processes, is is beca- are becoming more and more abstract environments in which. What matters is not so much the way we live as people and you know, as, as, as a society in, in kind of in close connection with uh, non-human lives and landscapes and ecosystems and so on. But what really matters is the, is the accumulation process as such. Um, so the question of, of abstraction, I think, is it's key to understand not only capitalist rationality, but the rationality of enclosure. And I think that for architects and designers, at large, what that introduces is, the, is a challenge—a profound challenge that goes to the core to our own fascinations with form. You know, it really brings uh, to the table the question of process. So, abstraction is is, uh, is a oscillates constant, It's a rationality that operates as a process that crystallizes at certain historical moments in its historically specific forms. And my hypothesis here, because it's not more than a hypothesis, is that the skyscraper is indeed a, a, a historically specific formation. And I think the word formation may be more appropriate than form in this, in this sense, just to reinforce my point, because it really uh, implies an, an interplay between architectural, the architectural object that so much fascinates designers, uh, and on the other hand, the, the, the very processes, abstract processes, financial processes, economic processes, um, processes of production that are absolutely embedded uh, and often, of course, invisible within the shape and the form of the skyscraper as such. So I think that you know, I think abstraction may be a, an interesting common thread to, to further unpack.
4: I'd love to pick up on that. And it, I think, Marcella, thank you for, for introducing, again, this, this concept. I think it was you who referred to the economic order Um, that is really uh, responsible for the rollout of this kind of planetary urbanism. Um, And and Marcello, just to kind of review this notion of abstraction, I I couldn't agree with you more that uh, in many respects, the fascination with the form of the the skyscraper, the capitalist kind of tendencies that develop it you know, to me, certainly seems to be related to an intense examination and and exploitation of accelerating land values, which is a phenomenon related entirely to the the land as a resource uh, becoming more and more scarce, advancements in uh, technology and finance transactions. Um, And these things uh, sort of remodel themselves as a kind of physical manifestation in the uh, kind of transition or new disposition of the tower becoming taller, uh, thinner, and in, in in many respects, as a result, the enclosure transitioning from one that we knew to be broader. I'm thinking of, you know, the the kind of march of commercial... Uh, in speculative real estate along Park Avenue, Sixth Avenue in a place like New York City. Um, that transformation is, in my mind, not attributable to architects, but to a rather sophisticated financial modeling to exploit whatever remaining potential exists from the land. And so to Barcello's point with respect to the terraforming of the land, That terraforming is first and foremost a financial terraforming, followed by the kind of service of the architectural profession to kind of go through the abstraction process of turning that financial model into a physical form. Uh, And then we have an opportunity to evaluate that and and have discussions like this, but the geopolitics uh, surrounding Um, how this new form proliferates throughout the world and the kind of rise of an understanding of what planetary urbanism is means that as as this model seeks reasonable and appropriate sites uh, to kind of um, exploit, right? And so only certain cities in this regard uh, begin to play into this new um, kind of hybrid of the financial model of abstracted into a built form. So I'm thinking of Hong Kong, for example, mm. um, versus New York City, San Francisco. Uh, there's, an, there's an interesting quandary too, and I'd love to get a response from the, from both of you, including yourself, Jeff, as, as, as the host here, that in many respects, the, um, the Anthropocene, as well as our climate condition, Um, really points to the the role of density. And I think you you brought this up earlier, but how the role of density uh, has a kind of favorable tone in how we occupy these territories. Uh, And so in many respects, the the question of the, the, the tower, both as a capitalist tendency, but also as a fairly efficient... Uh, model of of land use uh, raises a kind of contradiction of of, of how we interpret the management of those who execute these types of buildings. But then the byproduct of being able to occupy uh, a certain area of land uh, rather efficiently, thereby having a more positive effect on, um, or in some respects, a byproduct. Uh, on the climate crisis. And so, you know, I'd, I'd love to get some thoughts on, on that um, and, and how that translates into our understanding of the communal logic, right, of, of disseminating uh, a new intention of these uh, types of uh, uh, evolutions in the, in the built environment, particularly around towers and skyscrapers.
2: Well, I think, uh, I think that I'm glad you mentioned this question of the Anthropocene and climate change, because I think um, that's, uh, I think, the, the background against which we should position this discussion, the larger background. I mean, I like this formulation by Daniel Barber that we are already kind of inhabiting a planetary interior. You know, like, you know, we are, whether we like it or not, for better or worse, inside this... this um, um, our accidental megastructure, as Bratton would, would put it, right like, so and this is what I, this has been constructed or uh, articulated historically through the logic of capitalist enclosure, and that 's what I think it 's important to distinguish enclosure from capitalist enclosure as such. I think what is problematic here is is a logic of enclosure that is predicated upon the exploitation of nature, the separation of nature from um, the social milieu of our own lives. Um, not necessarily enclosure as such, and I think to, to get to the to the question of the skyscraper, I think it's interesting because the skyscraper, in its own logic, tends to create uh, a sort of like like an autonomous interior. It's like as Cole has put it, I think like it tends to it has a utopian drive to create its own worlds, um, and I think that, that that kind of the creation of that interiority doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a negative one. What is, what is negative is the logic that drives the production of these, these uh, buildings and uh, renders them, you know, machines for the generation of surplus value, and, and their use value is completely and absolutely neglected. So, so we're not when discussing these skyscrapers, and, and you know, think about the case of Tokyo or the case of Chinese cities, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Sean, I mean, you see there are like massive proliferations of buildings that are constructed mostly for financial speculation. Um, so this is a form of enclosure that is clearly untenable because it's also predicated upon a carbon economy that now is, is really um, unsustainable. We can't continue to uh, reproduce that logic. So if we take seriously the question of the Anthropocene, if we take seriously the question of uh, climate change, then we have to really rethink the way we understand buildings the way we conceive and construct buildings. And, and of course, you know, it's not to say we have to reject the logic of verticality that the skyscraper introduced because the question of density is crucial, because the question of, um, you know, concentration, urban concentration has some important uh, aspect that we cannot simply put aside, but we really have to rethink the kind of verticality we want to uh, kind of uh, put forward and articulate. And the only th- the, the last thing I want to say about this, and then I, I, I leave you, um, Marcela, to add your points to this, is that in science fiction there has been like typically two kinds of accounts of the skyscraper as as, uh, as an artifact of capitalism. Let's say on the one hand a dystopian kind of depiction, think of Ballard's high-rise for instance, that, that clearly describes uh, an interiority, an artificial interiority that is, that is infernal, that is like the replication of the social stratification of capital and the kind of the alienation that it creates and so on and so forth. But on the other hand, you have accounts like Kim Stanley Robinson's account in New York 2140, for instance, in which he reimagines uh, Manhattan in the age of climate change uh, as, an arch- as a common archipelago, right? Like the, in that case, what is abolished is typically the, is, is precisely the, the exchange value of these buildings and what is you know, brought to the foreground is its, its, its use value. Um, And I think that, you know, all these questions are to be uh, taken into account. It's not so much to abolish enclosure as such, but to abolish capitalist enclosure and to really rethink enclosure altogether from a different uh, starting point, from the logic of interdependency as opposed to the logic of uh, autonomy that capitalist uh, rationality predicates. I think this,
3: uh, you know, the... Some of the points here, I think looking at uh, resources, uh, separation from nature, density, I think all of these uh, leads into, uh, expand perhaps a little bit on the terraforming, but also the notion of mega machine and, and technogeographies, geographies, which I think are quite important also, again, especially when we talk about the terraforming. And, and this is specific, you know, specifically uh, related to the anthropogenic as a starting point. So, I think you know one thing that we are not aware somehow it's uh, um, uh, what really takes in a way for uh, a building, for instance, to function, right? And I think at the same the same way we are not aware of, for instance, what uh, what hum- the amount of energy that takes actually for ourselves to function to function in relation to the cloud. So I think uh, if we look at the politics of the cloud, and we look at actually the terraforming, to me, this relates pretty closely to, to, uh, to, to, the, you know, to the discussion that we're having in relation to enclosure. Because I think one thing that uh, you know, when we look at the terraforming, I think one thing that we have to be aware is both the physical and non-physical implication on Earth that systems have. So for instance, data, I think it's one critical point here. You know, If we just look at the functioning of system as a whole for the whole planet, so we uh, you know we we think that in a way the, the cloud um it's immaterial, right? But on the contrary, actually makes a pretty high impact on the territory. So if we look at the data centers, for instance, and how they actually impact the territory as a whole and how much energy actually takes to function, we begin to shift up our perspective. So I wanna use this as a kind of a parallel to begin to understand how perhaps this this the terraforming and the relationship between techno geographies, so the relationship again between uh, the geography and, uh, and uh, the um, systems somehow start to really affect the, the, the way in which we we change Earth as a substrate. And so this I think goes back to really look at the at the see- looking looking at the planetary scale, where again this notion of the inter- mm-hmm. interdependency. If we just look at about you know look at data and data data centers for instance right? These start to really set up this, uh, the logic of uh, interdependency that not necessarily is good or bad, but it's a state. Um, And so I think these three points, I think are closely interrelated, right? If you look at the enclosure or tall skyscraper as a mega machine and uh, in a way give us an awareness of uh, resources that take actually the building or a building of that scale to function, and on, on, the, on the other hand, I think all the other systems are intertwined with the modes of living on the, you know, now. And uh, so that's why I want to refer to the cloud or the, or the politics of the cloud as a reference and as a comparison to perhaps expand on, on the terraforming. So and the relationship with invisible system and invisible system that both require energy to function. And how can we begin to bring this awareness in uh, in 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 modes of living and how we produce cities in the short and the long term?
1: To me, there's um, that that this is this is fantastic conversation. And to me, there's something about um, it, it's hard not to think of David Harvey's spatial fix and in regards to. I like this idea that the skyscraper or the the architectural object, or even we could use Marcella's version of the cloud now as these forms of templates that the um, that Harvey's spatial fix relies on. In other words, it's, it's actually the, the, the very essence of the architectural artifact as an object that allows the spatial fix to continue to accelerate capital across vast geographies. And we see this in a variety of development patterns, what, what we refer, refer to as leapfrogging, for example. And, and that, that shows up in other contexts that are, that are not these, the dense cities um, that, we, that we've been discussing. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, the, the architectural object remains repeated. Uh, and, and so there's something to be said about this. Um, I, I'm taken away from the conversation with a lot to a lot to consider, uh, a lot of really powerful uh, concepts. And one of them is the, this idea of the reduction and the repetition. And there's something there's something to to, to pick more up on there. Um, I I, I want to invite uh, Sean back in to to kind of give some kind of concluding thoughts.
4: Really fascinating. Uh, you know, I I'm, I'm struck by the consistency by which interdependency is overlaid uh, upon both the kind of technology aspect, the environmental aspect, this idea of the template and the format, uh, which I think are extraordinarily powerful as concepts to kind of understand the the nature by which territories are, are managed and developed. And what it leads me to, and I think also Jeff, you introduced this idea of leapfrog, leapfrogging and it made me think of um, how legacy infrastructure, if, if it can be avoided, um, is a kind of preoccupation in terms of scanning for viable sites and territories to kind of exploit in, in, in uh, Mariano's notion, the kind of capitalist uh, tendency again. Uh, If we can kind of unpack those things, I think we we might find an opportunity to reintroduce an evolving concept of what an ecology truly looks like, a kind of uh, planetary ecology that is, is inclusive of technologies as ubiquitous and in many respects invisible as the cloud, which supports wholeheartedly the capitalist uh, agenda and and its use um, of territory and building uh, and enclosure as a a kind of formidable mechanism that then puts us at risk, both environmentally and territorially, um, and then raises the question of what are the crucial components when considering the full ecology of how we impact our our, our world um, and you know I'm, I'm so appreciative of both uh, mariano and, and marcella's uh, understanding and diagnosis of, of the importance of how markets particularly the, the financial markets the, the inherent creativity of those markets to adjust and reinvent um, this nature of enclosure by which we now have to kind of interrogate um, and see if there are ways to kind of intervene in these systems that can help redirect uh, the kind of outcomes that we, I think, we're all prophesizing here, uh, both within the, the two uh, pieces by Mariano and Marcello, Marcello, but also through those that we've referenced, Keller Easterling and, and uh, Daniel Blaber and, and others. So I, th- I think this is uh, a really wonderful opportunity to uh, expand a, a kind of an offer, uh, a line of inquiry that I think is going to be with us for some time. Um, this nature of enclosure, but the 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 ecology of enclosure at a much grander and broader scale, so that we can. You know, infringe upon some of those other disciplines um, that can then uh, provide some further insight into what their goals and motivations are and to reflect on if there is an understanding of the the impact of the codependency, interdependency and ultimately this kind of uh, enlarged uh, uh, ecology that we as humans are creating, but perhaps not fully aware uh, and willing to kind of look at it and examine it in its totality.
1: Thank you all Mariano, Marcella and Sean. Thanks again for being here.
0: This space has been sponsored by Acta Publishers and Urban Next. Subscribe to urbannext.net for access to exclusive digital content and visit acta.com for the most engaging publications on architecture, urbanism and landscape architecture. Check the description box for the links to the content mentioned during this conversation. If you like the episode, please hit the like button and share it with your network. Urban Next Exchanges is curated by Ricardo de Besa and myself, Marta Bouges. Feel free to contact us via email at inputbox at urbannext.net if you want to comment on the podcast or share your work with us. Thank you for listening.